Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and we are live tonight, guys, for the first time on the Dollar Dogs and Beer Podcast. How you doing, guys? I'm doing pretty good. This is exciting. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> How you doing, Joe? Doing pretty good. Can't complain too much. <laughs> Not I mean, as good I'm, as you're doing, but... No, oh, I'm yeah. clearly going to be doing the best for probably until uh, the World Series next year when the Braves hopefully repeat, but I know how freaking hard that is. So, uh, yeah. I, when was the last time we had a repeat? Wasn't it like the early 2000s-ish? It was the, it was the Yankees that repeated uh, early 2000s. The Phillies are the last team to uh, be back in the World Series after winning it. Okay, um, right. They won in 08 and then lost to the Yankees in 09. And no team that's won it has been in the World Series again the following year since then. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Hard to believe. And uh, remind me, Jason, that means the Yankees have been over a decade without a World Series appearance, isn't it? Sure does. Oof. Boy, Steinbrenner's got to be turning in his grave right now. <laughs> All right, guys. Why you there, you? Yeah, I, I did. My mom's a Yankees fan. What can I say? So, uh, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking uh, Angry Orchard. I'm going with Old Reliable right now. Good choice. So. How about you, Jason? Uh, tonight, I'm going with uh, Duclaw Brewing Company. I'm going with – it's one that you had earlier this year, Andrew – Sour me unicorn farts. Uh, yes, that because, one was delicious. I mean, I'm I'm not only sour that, of course, the Braves won the series, um, but <laughs> it feels like that you know, just like um, the how mythical and rare a unicorn is, just feels like it's going to be like that for the Phils to get back into the playoffs in the World Series. So they're close, <laughs> but they need some some assistance here. You know, I really don't think the Phillies are all that far. I, I really no, don't. I think two to three years tops. I think they have an outside shot at a wild card bid next year. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll even push for a division title like they did this year, but we'll have to see yeah. what happens uh, health-wise for all the teams and see what yeah. happens. Yeah, because as we'll, as we'll go over in a few minutes, the uh, in- injury list for the NL East this year was brutal for all the teams involved. And, guys, tonight – I was going to get champagne and I forgot to stop on my way home from work. Shocker. So tonight. What kind of a fan are you? Mark. <laughs> so Man. I'm going to be drinking some good whiskey. Uh, the whiskey I was drinking on the night of the celebration was my uh, 12 year aged. Um, one of the finest Irish whiskeys you can find the red breast. Absolutely delicious. If you have never had a bottle of it. Um, it is good. Yeah, unfortunately, most of my stock is gone, understandably, after game six. So we're going to go with the Maker's Mark tonight instead. All right, guys, so let's take a look here. This was this was one of the craziest seasons I can remember. We had the no-hitter record getting broken. We had a ton of personal milestones by so many players across so many teams get broken. Um, you saw a lot of action at the trade deadline. You saw some teams ran post to post in first place. You saw teams that dominated for most of the year and then fell apart because they had no offense all season. Uh, you had a wild card race in the AL that came down to the last day and almost had the penultimate chaos scenario happen for the first time in years. I'm still a little bitter that that didn't happen, but I'll get over it. 
So, uh, Joe, let's start with you. What was your overall impression of the first half of the season? I mean, we talked about this a lot. I think the the White Sox started off hot and they got hot, and then after the break, they, you know, didn't have to play meaningful baseball. So, you know, that that certainly was a a take from the first half, just how quickly they got out um, and got separated between them and Cleveland. Um, how bad the Twins were this year, uh, in the first half particularly. They just we got through the first. 40 games of the year and they were already 10 and a half back. And I think there were a lot of expectations for the twins this year. So, um, you know, those, those were big, big takeaways. Um, the reds from the first half. I mean, they, you know, they had a first half for the, for the ages there. I mean, you, you go into, you know, the all-star game and they're only, a couple of games back. And I don't think a lot of people expected them to be there just yet. So, I mean, that, that was a huge takeaway in the first half, at least. Yeah. I'm speaking just for myself. I certainly didn't expect the Reds to be where they were. Um, I know they were a playoff team last year, but losing Trevor Bauer, you know, such a dynamic ace to stabilize the top of that starting rotation. I mean, you could, you could see it with the Reds this year. They could still mash with absolutely anybody, but they didn't have the pitching to keep other teams from mashing right back. Yeah. I mean, the thing is there too. I mean, you need to look at, you know, their outfield is probably one of the best outfields in the game, uh, both offensively and defensively. Plus they even uh, potentially here have a rookie of the year in Jonathan India. So I think the Reds are going to be dangerous. Uh, They just need to get a few more pieces in place and uh, they can contend. Yeah, and that, yeah, that, bit of a, that bit of a, you know, they're going to go into a bit of a, a bump here in, into the winter because they already lost Wade Miley already. Um, you know, so they're going to have to, one of their, their best pitchers and, you know, had a no-hitter this year. I mean, now you're starting over at least in that spot in the rotation too, so. Mm, very true, very true. Um, my big impression from the first half of the year was um, one, you had two teams that were already sitting on top of their division and weren't going to be budged for the rest of the year in both the White Sox and the Astros. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit towards the end of the year, especially with the White Sox, because they weren't being pushed by absolutely anybody. Um, did it hurt them to be that far ahead this early because of the all-star break? the White Sox were already eight games up on Cleveland. Yeah, it it obviously hurt them, I think. Um, You know, you you can't turn that switch on in October when you haven't had to sweat anything in five months. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we saw happen in the playoffs. You know, what's the point of having a team that's dominating in the division if you don't get a challenge at all? And, I mean, I think – people keep talking about the the National League East as the National League least. And here the Braves were playing playoff baseball from, you know, July, August, and on. So they were able to make that run that they did and end up coming out as, as champs because they had to have that focus for so long. 
Yeah, and the Braves, and I'll talk about this more when we do the second half. I mean, the Braves from the trade deadline, they caught fire. We've said it how many times. The team that has the most momentum going into the playoffs is not the team you ever want to face. That's how Miami has two Super Bowls. Excuse me. That's how Miami has two World Series titles, and up until last year, had never been eliminated from the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say Miami's not getting a Super Bowl anytime soon either. But no, <laughs> no um, definitely not. No, <laughs> yeah, not for a very, very, very long time. And although I've got to tell you, I'm okay with that because uh, my Vikings aren't going to get one for a very long time either. That's why I'm just going to be happy with my. Uh, Braves World Series title because uh, yeah that's probably gonna be it for a while. Yeah, um, so, some of my notes that I had here on that first half, uh, there was domination in the first half by the Giants, Red Sox, White Sox, and even the Mets. Um, Giants pretty much, I mean, I mean they didn't lead wire to wire, but they were top or top two pretty much the entire time. Uh, the Red Sox uh, first first half they were absolutely on top of the AL East, which considering that division was very impressive. And even the Mets, the Mets start out on fire before they lost a lot of their players to injury. The Cardinals were also a team that I noted here in the first half. They started out really hot. They were leading the division at the quarter mark and ended up falling flat uh, to end out the first half here. Um, and even into the second half of the season, they at, at the halfway point were under 500 and were fourth in the division. Yeah, in, in a very weak NL Central, I mean, it was for them to, to fall off there. And then, as we'll talk about, you know, get get to the playoffs even is remarkable. Yeah, it really is. Um, the other, you know, the other thing I want to really, I wanted to point out, this was the NL East at the halfway mark. It was Mets 48 and 40. The Phillies were at 44 and 44 and Atlanta was at 44 and 45. And this was right. This was the uh, standings going into the all-star breaks. So it was right after Acuna's injury. And I was reading an interview with Alex Andopoulos and he said the reason why they pushed big and went it went in for it so hard they had a huge positive run differential that nobody else in the division had at that point. And typically, and of course, you know, there are always going to be exceptions. This is sports. This is how it works. Typically, if you're a losing team with a high positive run differential, it just means you had a lot of bad breaks that didn't fall your way. And that's what ended up happening. They'd got the couple pieces they needed and they started to roll. Yeah, I mean, I think if if not for the award going to somebody like before uh, the playoffs started, I, I think your executive of the year is is him. Uh, I, it's just the way that those pieces were for them in the playoffs were insane. Um, but I, I don't with the award being voted on before the playoffs i don't know that he'll get that yeah we'll have to see what happens there when they announce um executive gm of the year um i could see it going between andopolis i could see it going between um their names are escaping me right now but the gms for the giants and the dodgers as well 
Uh, but here, here's the thing. Endopolis went five for five on trades. You never go five for five on trades. I mean, Stephen Vogt didn't make an impact in the playoffs because he got hurt, but his bat was exactly what the Braves needed as a, as the second bat for their second catcher because um, the Braves ran through seven or eight catchers this year, and that's not going to get it done ever. Contreras was hot for a while, but then, yeah, he's a rookie. He, his bat got really cold. He got a little skittish behind the plate, so they sent him back down to AAA to get some work done. Uh, Kevon Smith was brought up, and he's a fantastic defensive catcher, but offensively his bat's about as effective as a toothpick against Randy Johnson. And, you know, yeah, Jonathan Lucroy made a brief appearance, and I, I, I'm not going to go down the whole list because it's honestly kind of depressing. But, you know, you never see a guy go five for five on trades. You know, between vote and the four outfielders, incredible. All right, and then the other the other thing that um, that I wanted to look that I looked at for the first half was how the Brewers just caught fire in June and just hit the pedal to the metal and just ran away with the division from that point. And Joe, I I know it, that first half of the year was such a roller coaster ride with the Cubs because that May was one of the best single months I've ever seen a team play baseball. And then they turn around and had one of the worst months in the history of baseball in June. I, I have never seen a team flip-flop like that. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was just a disaster. Um, you know, it, our episodes in May, I was, I was feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden June happened and I'm like, what the heck just, you know, um, <laughs> to quote uh, Anthony Rizzo in game seven, I was in a glass case of emotion for a while there. <laughs> yeah, totally understandable too. <laughs> but yeah, it, and you know, it's it's so true. The Reds, they fought so hard. Uh, the Cubs, I mean, even at that point, I wasn't ready to quite call them sellers, even though I should have just said, yeah, they're selling at that point. Because as I recall in that episode, I said they probably should be, but they're not fully out of it yet. Yeah, I was wrong about that. And I will yes, freely yes, admit you are. Yeah, I was <laughs> badly wrong about that. But it's, really, it's, again, to quote, the late, to quote the great Danny Green, the Cubs are who I thought they were. <laughs> yeah, they really were. And then, like, even the Padres, they shouldn't have been dead. They weren't dead in the water yet. They were still at 53 and 40. They were only six games behind the Dodgers and the Giants. Um, and if I recall right, they were still firmly holding on to the second wild card bid at that point. Yeah, so, <laughs> fifty-three uh, and forty, and be that far out of your like out out of your division race. Like, I mean, and it's not even it's that far, but fifty-three and forty and six games out—that's crazy. Yeah, and to be third, and to yeah. be third with that, because a five seventy winning percentage—that's phenomenal. Most teams would kill to have a five seventy winning percentage. It just doesn't help when the Giants are batting 640 and the Dodgers are batting 615 at that point. Yeah. So let's flip it towards the end of the season where we saw the Padres nosedive. I mean, let's let, let's stay out in the NL West first. The Padres, that was uh, that has to be the most disappointing performance out of anybody. They went from being 53 and 40 with a 570 winning percentage to ending the year at 79 and 83 at 488. 
and they made next to no moves at the trade deadline as the Dodgers are stocking up, as the Giants are stocking up, and they made one trade, and that was about it. What in the hell were they thinking? They weren't. They <laughs> um, really weren't thinking, but I also think maybe, maybe they – Maybe they saw something. I don't know. I mean, Tatis had been out, I think, once already at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's I certainly possible that they thought that they weren't going to have a, a good chance to run at the second half. But you have to at least look at that wild card that you have that hold on. And uh, it it's absolutely mind-blowing that they didn't make some sort of move to improve, especially like, their pitching staff and, and get some support around Tatis uh, and even Machado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that Padres club can mash. They've got great bats out there. They've got some decent pitching. They wouldn't have even needed to go all in on shirts or although really, if you were going to keep up with the giants and the Dodgers, that's who they should have gone after is shirts but even a even a second level starter just to bump their more middle lineup guys down a spot in the rotation. It's just like we talked about with the Phillies after the trade deadline getting Gibson. It let them bump everybody else down a spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it gets you more favorable matchups for your guys that might be struggling in the three spot, but you bump them down to the four spot and they're going to dominate the guy that they're starting against almost every night. I mean, not only did the Padres not really make any major moves at the deadline, but they pulled, they picked up Arietta off waivers. I, I question your yeah, judgment that, at that point. Well, and then they won up picking up Arietta by getting rid of Arietta, where he got hurt. I can't. It, it doesn't really matter. And no, they released him pretty quickly. Like, yeah, you're going. They, for they released. Sorry, Andrew. They released Arietta and then picked up. Um, Vince Velasquez after the Phillies uh, <laughs> DFA'd him. Yeah. Uh, one one <laughs> steaming pile of garbage to another steaming pile of garbage. Just one that's able to get more strikeouts while still allowing roughly the equivalent amount of home runs. Yeah, and not get hurt, hurt as quickly as Arietta does. Yeah, well, Arietta's old. <laughs> we, we We can chalk that up to age catching up with him, I think. And then in the central, you know, it's funny that race looked a lot closer than it actually was because of uh, St. Louis's incredible run at the end of the season. They brought that division race back within five games when Mm -hmm. uh, at the third quarter mark, the Cardinals were, uh, where'd I put that paper? Sorry, wrong paper. At the third quarter mark, they were 10 games out. They cut that, they cut that deficit in half with that incredible run there. Yeah, if and not then, for Milwaukee's huge June, that, that could have been a, a game 162 division at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was one of my big, big notes here in the second half is that the Cardinals rode that massive streak uh, to get a wild card spot. You know, they they were out of it. They were dead in the water, and, you know, you get those 15, 16-game runs, and – you're going to make some some dent in those standings, and they pulled it out for the second wild card. Yeah, that was uh, truly a, a run for the ages. Um, I believe they set the franchise mark for longest winning streak. I yeah. Would say. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that was truly a phenomenal streak. It was a real pity to see it end against the Dodgers because that I talk talk about Clash of the Titans right there. That was um two teams with a huge head of momentum going in and and that was a, it was a 3-1 game, so it was a low-scoring game, and the Cardinals just couldn't muster enough. They didn't really make a ton of moves at the deadline because they weren't really sure what they had. So, yeah, yeah you know, it was kind of a pity for them. Um, we're gonna we'll do the NL East last. Uh, looking over the American League side, um, I as much as I loved that run that the Mariners made at the end of the year, I was not surprised to see the Astros take that. But boy, well, was that a I mean, when you make one move and you and you trade away your closer, I, I mean, how are you going to? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that they even came close is is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the athletics were actually leading that division at the quarter mark uh, before mm-hmm. the Astros ended up coming back and just kind of running away with that division. Um, so it it wasn't really that much of a surprise because we knew that the Astros were going to be pretty dominant. So um, I think for me, the the surprise was just how the Mariners ended up coming back in that division. And, and they, they pushed for a wild card until the very end. Yeah. They didn't get eliminated till the last day. Um, my question for you guys, if the Mariners had not traded their closer to the Astros, do you think the Mariners would have had enough to get that second wild card from the Yankees or at least force a partial chaos scenario where we have to play extra games? I don't think so. I think they were still, they're still missing a few more pieces aside from their closer. Um, I don't have a stat here on what their blown, if what their like blown saves were for the second half of the season, but I, I feel like that they were still missing, you know, just a little bit of offense, maybe a little defense there. Um, they're really close. So I, I don't think that they would have made a big difference there. Yeah. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I, I just don't think they, I mean, I couldn't even remember the shortstop's name last night and I heard it 10 minutes before we were talking about it um, <laughs> with the gold gloves. I mean, it's, yeah, they just don't have, I, I don't, I agree with Jason. They didn't have enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're probably right about that. I just, I never understand, unless you're completely out, I never understand trading one of your best players to a division rival. Makes no sense no. at all to me. I don't mind trading the closer, but I I just don't get it. All right, and then, like I said, the, the AL Central, we don't really need to delve into that very much. That was decided by uh, April 14th, I believe, is when the White Sox took took over and didn't look back. And then the AL East, that was a great race to watch till the end. And uh, it, our buddy Big Jim's not going to be able to join us tonight. Uh, you know, he had some stuff come up on his end. But his Orioles did the very best they could to spoil as much as they could. And I'll, let me tell you, I was a big Orioles fan the last week of the season, trying to get that penultimate chaos scenario to kick in. Uh, the, a, the AL East race at the end was phenomenal. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I mean, it's we talked about it a lot. The Red Sox arrived a year early, and that that was super fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I that was also one of my notes here was um, 
the way that the the Rays actually came back to to take that division. I mean, they were down in third or third or fourth at one point, and mm. they they stormed back to take that division. But the Red Sox, you know, holding on for that wild card and and making that run all the way to the uh, league championship series is incredibly impressive because that team was not predicted by any of the major sports outlets or I, I think even us to make some noise this year. Uh, we all felt that they were missing a few pieces yet that they're close, but just not ready. And here they, they were able to get to the LCS. Yeah. Yeah. I was particularly imp- impressed with how they knocked Tampa Bay off. I mean, I, 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 I can't remember when we were on with Jim if I predicted Tampa Bay to go on or if I predicted Boston to go on, but that was I was definitely a little surprising that they were able to knock the Rays off. I'm really not surprised they didn't knock off the Astros, but uh, we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, let's circle back then to uh, the NL East, where our World Series champions came out of this year. Um, Atlanta, from the trade deadline to the end of the year, had the best record in baseball, uh, 40 and 22, 44 and 22, something like that. You know, g- going back again, Andopolis made the right moves and Atlanta got hot and they won the games they needed to, despite some struggles out West, which, as we pointed out many, many times, that's going to happen. Every time East Coast teams go out West, they have problems. And when the West Coast teams come back East, they have problems. So I wasn't really surprised to see that happen. Uh, that I got to tell you, that was one of the most exciting Septembers I can remember. And it helped that uh, Jason definitely helped for us that, you know, our two teams were fighting neck and neck until the last series they faced off against each other. Um, and then Joe, I know the, your bet with your father-in-law worked out very well for you as the uh, Mets completely imploded and fell apart you know, the Mets shot big. They went as hard as they could at the trade deadline. They picked up uh, Javi Baez, the guy who cannot resist a slider three feet out of the strike zone. And yet sometimes he's somehow able to knock it over the right field fence because it's Javi being Javi. And despite that, the Mets still couldn't outside for a couple games here and there. They could not get an offense going. And I that's what doomed them. Yeah, I mean, if to me, if when you're at the trade deadline, if you're the Mets, your offense is struggling mightily. The last thing you need to do is bring a guy in who struggles mightily and gets lucky maybe 25% of the time. Uh, 220s average, I wouldn't even say 25% of the time this year. And right. right. You and know, how many the, rallies did he kill with his strikeouts? <laughs> I, I don't know any pitcher who would say, you know what, I'm going to throw it in the zone. Like – why bother? Yeah, uh, I think for for your for your question, Andrew, uh, the limit does not exist. Um, <laughs> but they uh, the, the the Mets just they didn't make the right moves at the deadline, and knowing that they were potentially losing Jacob Degrom for the season, uh, they needed a lot of pitching help, and they just didn't do anything with that. So they they were a team that while they were in first place, they did not have a first place looking team as far as, you know, offense and defense and a whole package goes. Um I'm pretty sure that we predicted very early on that 
the Braves and Phillies were going to come back and be the top two teams in that division. And, and it worked out for us there. Um, but yeah, the, the Mets just the way that they collapsed was huge. I mean, they're, they have, they're the team that was the farthest ahead, had the most uh, wins or whatever it was. And then for being later in the year to collapse and lose the division uh, in MLB history. So clearly there's a lot that needs to go change there. Even um, clubhouse culture and leadership culture, you know, with the whole thumbs down scandal and things like that. I, they're, they're too out of control to the point that nobody even wants that GM job right now. The last I saw, it's been what three or four high profile guys have turned down the job and said, I'm not going anywhere near that. And right. Can you blame them? I know what came out of, of Theo's interview was that Theo wanted, you know, percentage control and they wouldn't give it to him. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, with Theo's resume. How do you not? How yeah. do you not give him that control? You yeah, have to be I, willing I, to sacrifice a little bit of your own, you know, desire to, to actually put a winning product on the field. Yeah. And, and they're just not willing to do it. No, they're not. No, they're not. And they made And going back to that Javi trade, they gave up one of their best prospects for a couple months of Javi Baez that didn't net them the playoffs and jump-started the Cubs' rebuilding efforts. Uh, honestly, the Cubs probably, the, the, way their trade date, the way their trade deadline went, the Cubs probably shaved off two years of rebuild. Easily. Yeah, very easily. I agree. If not more. The, the thing then, to me is, like, with the Mets, it's like a couple years ago, they were up seven at the beginning of September and blew it. Mm-hmm. And then this year, they had they were in first place for what was it, 108 days, 108 games or something like that, and then blew it. Like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? You know, the, <laughs> the Mets the being the Mets. The fact that they didn't go for a big arm at the deadline and a better bat, because there are better bats out there um, at the trade yeah. deadline, that really just. I don't understand that front office at all. I don't. No. No, it, it really, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Not none at all. And then the Phillies made a tremendous push. That was a, that was one of the most exciting races to other than the, the AL East and the AL wild card, the push between the Braves and the Phillies up until, up until the series when the Braves got the sweep and knocked the Phillies out. That was phenomenal. It's like Jason said, the week the Phillies had their perfect week, the thing that sucked the most for him is the Braves went 6-1 and one that week, so they only gained a very little bit there, and they couldn't capitalize. They were never able to jump ahead of Atlanta, and that was what I said. Jason was right. at the be- Once we flipped from August to September, the schedule advantage went from the Braves to the Phillies, but what I said was the Braves have the advantage – because they've got the division lead and they just have to hold serve and pick up a couple games here and there and take series. They don't need to push for the sweep. They just need to push for two out of three, two out of three, two out of three, or split the four gamers. And for the most part, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I think the Braves had a little bit of a rough patch, but I think it was more so 
with their with their travel and things like that. They they did have a, a rough stretch there that that let the Phils back in and I don't know if the Phils took over. They might have taken over by like a game or two. I I, I don't quite remember. They stayed within a half game. That was as close okay. as it got. Was a half game. So yeah. so so the the Braves struggled, but I, I think the Phils started to struggle again at the same time, which really helped out Atlanta. Um, the Diamondback but, series. What the hell was that? The Phillies. What is it with the Phillies playing down to crappy teams and playing up to such good teams? I will never understand that. Yeah. And and I think that's something that we'll we'll see them working on trying to change this year. I think uh, they're going to try to make some some roster moves, especially with some of the free agents that they have and the free agents that are out in the field uh, this year. But um, I, I do see we have a, a small comment here from uh, one of our uh, followers, Austin Young, uh, Sam Bryce Harper for MVP. Uh, Austin, I, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I, we'll we're going to be we'll talking see. about that uh, later in 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 the show here, but. So definitely uh, stay tuned there. Um, but I love that that start here. And I'm going to actually gripe about your Orioles and a snub in a little bit, I think, too. Yes, I can imagine. And then, and like I said, you know, Atlanta caught fire at the right time. The pitching staff, for the most part, they stayed healthy. The guys that were hurt came back and were able to contribute. And they got hot at the right time and rolled it in the playoffs. So uh, let's uh, flip over. The season is over. Let's flip into the playoffs because, guys, e- even if you weren't in this year, this was a pretty exciting playoff all the way around, I thought. And let's be honest, I watched almost every game, uh, which I know drive my wife drove my wife more than a little bit nuts with how much baseball I was watching. So let's start. Uh, let's start with the wild cards. Um, so in the AL wild card, it was Red Sox Yankees because, of course, it was. And even though the Yankees really beat up a lot on the Red Sox, the Red Sox got the job done early in the year, so they had home field advantage because they had the season. Uh, they clinched the season series, and I think that made all the difference for them because the Yankees could not do anything. Let's face it, Garrett Cole's a phenomenal regular season pitcher. He's not a great postseason pitcher, especially on short rest, which is what he had to pitch in the wild card. Hard to argue with that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, when we were looking for that possible ultimate chaos scenario, the Yankees had already made their, their choice on Sunday. We talked about that. They're like, we want to play at Fenway. <laughs> you got what you wanted. You didn't deliver. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then on the- sorry, I mean, I'm, I'm here thinking like, you know, for, for the wild card, um, like the, the American league wild card was not really that surprising. I think at least two, if not all three of us picked the Red Sox to beat the Yankees. Um, and for me, it was the, the Dodgers, you know, they put a quick end to the hot Cardinals team. So, I was really impressed with how the Dodgers showed up in that one game playoff. Yeah. And th- what happened, I, what I think happened most to the Cardinals, their bats got cold at the exact wrong time and they didn't have enough pitching to take the Dodgers on. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you've got enough, enough bats to, to outweigh the lack of pitching, but 
you know, if, if your bats just cool off, like you said, that that's just not going to get it done on a team yeah, that low. I mean, I mean, the they could have used their game team. four or game five starter and still probably won that game. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And then the division series in the AL, the Astros just pounded the White Sox three to one. That that series was never close. And I, I don't remember which White Sox pitcher it was that said they thought the Astros were stealing signs again because first two games we struck out 18 batters total, and then game three we struck out 18 in a game. Yeah, and then the next game the Astros used that bulletin board material and mashed your faces into the dirt of your own stadium. Don't call out the Astros, the best offensive team in baseball this year by far, unless you actually have something to back it up because they've already been caught. They've already been convicted. Granted, Rob Manfred is being an absolute wuss and doing nothing about it, and that's not going to change. But that's over and in the past. The Astros were now looking to get revenge, and we're on a major league revenge tour that they ran all the way into the World Series. I, I don't know which pitcher that was, but uh, I, I, Tony should have sat him down kind of like he did to the guy earlier this year who uh, hit the 3-0 home run out. A little surprised by that. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with the White Sox is, you know, we keep touching on it. They didn't play meaningful baseball for six months. And, you know, they just didn't show up. No. You know, we talked about how loaded their pitching staff was. And, and their offense should have easily been enough, but their pitchers just fell flat. Yeah. That was what I was most surprised about, to be completely honest, was how bad the White Sox pitching was in the ALDS. I, I, did, I You always expect pitching to do a little worse in the regular season. I did not expect them to fall that far off the cliff. No, I yeah, think there were some early signs of this, though. With, I mean, we watched the Field of Dreams game. I mean, Lance Lynn looked terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a disappointing showing for the White Sox. Um, they they were my AL champ, if not I maybe even my World Series champ, uh, just because of how good they were this year. But it just goes back to the whole not playing meaningful baseball. They just couldn't get up for a series. Well, and the thing that really, I think, killed the White Sox, too, they basically conceded the number two seed to the Astros. They never pushed hard to catch that number two seed to get home field advantage. And I, I think that really hurt them. And then on the other side of the AL side of the bracket, the uh, Red Sox took the Rays down three games to one. Uh, that that was such a weird series. So many strange, mysterious happenings in that series. Uh, the home run that wasn't, and they were correct in not calling it a home run. Uh, what The one game went, what, 14 innings? And that, that was insane. Absolutely insane. The Rays... Their good pitching fell apart, and their bats were not able to pick them up. Yeah, the the Red Sox again. Like th this was this was one of the more surprising series to me because I really thought that this one was going to go five, just because of how dominant the Rays were throughout the season, and you know they had. Really good performances 
by Randy Rosarena. You know, Wander Franco did pretty well, but they just they just couldn't keep the Red Sox bats down, and, and the Red Sox just flat out took that flat out just took that divisional series. Mm-hmm. Holy Kike Hernandez! Imp- incredible performance, even. Even in the loss in the next round of the Astros, he did everything he could to keep that Boston lineup moving. He was yeah. almost unstoppable. Yeah, but between Kike and Hunter Renfro, I mean, you thought they might just have enough, but mm-hmm. in that next round, but yeah, then they fell just short. And then in the NLDS, um, you had first you had the Braves and the Brewers, and despite the records, these. Two teams were actually pretty similarly matched pitching-wise. The Braves just had a lot more offense than Milwaukee did, and that's what showed through in that series. You know, Milwaukee took game one because Charlie Morton threw one bad pitch. If it wasn't for that one bad pitch, the Braves had that swept. Yeah, that was my big note here was the the Braves, basically they just got it done quickly the way that they needed to. Um to, did what they needed to at home, took the game on the road, and that was that. Yeah, that that, that was a very that was a merciful for Milwaukee fans. That was a mercifully quick for them. Joe, I know you were pretty happy to see your uh, division rivals get knocked out. Yeah, and I mean we talked about it a ton too over the year that the NL Central is a weak division, and whoever makes it out of that division is not going far. And, and that's what Look happened. At that. so. Look at that. They they got two teams in. The Cardinals were one and done. The Brewers were one and done. We nailed that one. And then uh, the other NLDS series between the Dodgers and the Giants that went the full five games, that was, that was truly a battle of two Titans just going blow for blow for blow. That, that was by far the best of the four DS series, no question in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it was the only one that went five games. Yeah. Yeah, and if we didn't Actually, get five games out of that one, we would I would have felt cheated. <laughs> I mean so the way that, that those two went back back and you know back and forth the entire month of September, and then if, if that series would have gone less than five, it would have been like, really? You only get four of those? Yeah, right. Imagine if one of those teams swept that series. How how bad would you feel then, Joe? <laughs> That that would have been terrible. I, I would have hated that, <laughs> honest to God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it certainly wouldn't have been fun. It wouldn't have been, you know. And I don't still. I just I feel like, you know, Capor. If Capor wasn't Capor, who knows what happens there? I mean that, you know, the, the fact that Flores is up there and gets, you know, the the check swing that that was but wasn't called. Hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it's nuts. And I mean, I was waiting for the Kapler that I know from the Phillies to show up, and he kind of showed up at the worst time there uh, in the playoffs and mismanaged a little bit, and it ended up biting him uh, in the end, and the Dodgers ended up taking that series. I just... I could not understand how how Kepler fell for the most obvious trap in the book that Dave Roberts could have set, and he just jumped into it with two feet. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. 
Giants fans, you guys should be a little pissed at Kapler for that because that was some of the worst management of a single game in any of the playoff games by far. I think that's where the inexperience comes into play there. Um, he pro- he should have seen it was it was a trap there, but I give him a little leeway just because of the inexperience as far as the playoff matchups go. Sure. But you know, it, it's still a, a cause of them being out of the series. I mean, when you look at the regular season and then the four games you had before that, you've had twenty three games against Dave Roberts. You should know him inside and out by this point. Yeah. And all of the internet knew what Dave Roberts was doing. Yeah. So, so if, if there was a he, he didn't a, even try if, and hide it. No, if there was a social media ban in the giant clubhouse, they probably should have, you know, not had one. <laughs> oh boy, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? All right, and then moving on to the championship series. So looking at the AL first, uh, which both series went six games, the Astros took the AL four to two. You know, when me and Joe got on to do the um, World Series preview, or I'm sorry, the uh, DS wrap-up and the CS preview, we said if Boston could take one game in Houston, the advantage completely swings to them because the home field advantage in Fenway Park is unlike just about anywhere else in baseball, especially this year, other than maybe Truist down in Atlanta. Um, I, I got to tell you, I did not see the Astros not only taking one, I didn't see them coming back the way they did in that ninth inning to take two in Boston. That, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was after, after the Red Sox did what they needed to in Houston and they then just fell apart at home. That was unreal to see. Um, it was almost to me, it made me feel feel like I was watching the I believe 2019 World Series where uh the with the Astros and the Nationals when no home team won a single game in that World mm-hmm. Series. Uh it was just crazy how there was like a lack of just a lack of home field advantage in that LCS this year. Yeah, that that was insane. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that and I don't think we'll ever see something quite like that ever again. Uh, Joe, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, we we were like, you know, we came out of game two of that series, and and we were like, okay, I got the one, I got the game right that they were going to get. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to Fenway, and yeah, I, surprised the heck out of me for sure. Jordan, 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 wow, what a series! Yeah. Well, and that the the Astros finally had a pitcher that pitched more than two and a third innings. That was insane. And honestly, had that eight inning game not happened, I don't know that the Astros take two games in the World Series because of how much more wear and tear that got put on their bullpen. Yeah. That that was huge. And then flipping it over to the NLCS, um, Atlanta took that one 4-2. That was also a phenomenal series. The Braves got to erase the narrative from last year when they went up 3-1 in the neutral side. And like I, I brought this up in the group chat that I wasn't worried when the Braves when the Braves went up 3-1 and lost. I wasn't worried because mm-hmm. last year 
you were at a neutral site in a stadium you've never played in before. Because remember, that was the opening year for the new Texas ballpark. So neither of those teams had ever played in there. They had no experience with the quirks of the outfield or how the infield plays or anything else. And you had no fans in there. So it it was essentially like a spring training exhibition with more on the line last year. Whereas this year, we had fans in this. We had fans packed in all the stadiums. The stadiums were very loud. You could hear that cut through every broadcast. How loud those fans were, and uh, you know that that series was absolutely phenomenal. Even if it had gone to seven, I still think Atlanta would have taken it at home in Game Seven. Yeah, I mean the the thing with that was you know that being three two, you know that you're going home. It's it's one where you would expect your team to win at least one out of two chances to close a series out at home. If you don't, then it just to me, you just absolutely blew that opportunity and the Braves made the most of it. And I think they did what was kind of expected as far as closing it out at home and, and things like that go. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was a phenomenal series. I mean, Eddie Rosario, that series, I can't remember any one player carrying a team quite as well as Eddie did in that series. That was, and I I, I found out during game, I want to say it was game five. No, it was game four. In game four, Eddie broke out the uh, hit for cycle bat where he hit for the cycle after swinging at only five pitches. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was like, you know what? It's the playoffs. Jock brought out his Rizzo bat and Jock went on fire because God knows Jock didn't really do anything in the World Series. But without Jock's contributions in the um, NLCS, especially once Solaire got put on the COVID IL, I don't know that Atlanta had enough to push it the whole way through. Yeah. So, you know, and again, Alex Indopoulos, five for five in trades. And it yeah. showed in the playoffs. And they didn't yeah, even bring for, for Eddie, let's go with what works. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't even bring Rich Rodriguez in the any of the playoff rosters either. Their big uh late minute bullpen edition. So and then we, we got down to the World Series, which went four to Atlanta. I am still heavily celebrating, as we well know, and Jason is crying on the inside over there. I can see in the video. It was um, a lose lose for me no matter what <laughs> happened. Uh, cheater, cheaters versus division rival that I would never want to ever win ever again. Um, but you know, I, I have to say something, Andrew here, and I think I said this in the team chat. You know, I, I gave you uh, some crap for uh, picking the Braves the entire way through, and it's it's not a homer pick if they win at all, is it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just means I'm the smartest guy in the room, which we should have known already. Well, I guess your <laughs> wife's not in that room. So yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, no, she's off somewhere else. She has a little interest in uh, listening to a baseball podcast. Although that said, that said, she is actually, she's been listening to it and cause she um, does home visits at her job. She's a nurse and um, she's actually been listening to the podcast and is actually starting to understand baseball a little better. I'm, I'm delighted to say that, and I, I, I have an idea for Pick'em next year that I'll I'll bring up to you guys in the group chat, see what you think, but I've got a creative twist for next year that I think would be a little bit fun. So 
that World Series was absolutely incredible. It had everything you could have possibly wanted to see. Um, some crazy twists and quirks. Number one, Atlanta, every time they wore a uniform for the first time in the World Series, they won. If they repeated it, they lost. Game one, they brought the alternate blue road jerseys out and won. Game two was alternate blue, they lost. Game three was the home reds, which they won. Game four, home whites, which they won. Game five, home whites, they lost. Game six, road grays, they won. <laughs> Baseball. <laughs> Wait, how does that happen? I don't think anybody but you would have looked into what uniform they were wearing. To be fair, I didn't pick up on it right away. One of the one of the guys on UniWatch, it actually wasn't Paul Lucas who picked it up. Somebody pointed it out to him, and then he took a closer look and was like, oh, okay, this is happening. This is happening. <laughs> it, you know, in Atlanta, they came in with a huge edge in starting pitching. They lost Charlie Morton in game one. Um, he took a line drive off the ankle and then managed to pitch another uh, inning in the third or something like that before the pain was too much that he had to come out. And uh, we found out he had a tibia fracture and that, that, that really sucked on two accounts. Number one, to lose Charlie Morton, that really hurt because it got rid of the Braves huge pitching advantage they had. Number two, once Charlie got back to Atlanta, he had his surgery so he could be ready for spring training next year. Cause remember the Braves extended him late in the season and he wasn't able to travel back with the team to Houston. So he couldn't be on the field celebrating with them. So I, you had to feel for Charlie after that. Um, Cause it, that, that just sucks, man. Cause he was the heart and soul of that pitching rotation, him and Max freed uh, absolutely incredible. And then, you know, game two, I wasn't surprised uh, freed he got a little amped up and that's what happened in his first start with the Dodgers too. He got amped up. The Dodgers jumped on him. He might've been tipping pitches a little bit. Um, and it, you know, same thing happened game two and the, the Astros as the Astros did all season, they get good pitches. They're going to smash them. And here's the crazy thing about Freed's loss in game two. Only one of those balls hit off him was over 90 miles an hour off the bat. Most of those hits were soft contact balls that just got into the holes. And that's just going to happen sometime. Then you had game three come in and Ian Anderson takes the Braves home. Ian Anderson is pulled after five innings of no hit baseball. He did have a bunch of walks, so his control wasn't quite there. And the pinch hit absolutely worked as the pinch hitter hit a double and then was driven home by Rosario. And, um, it wasn't until I believe Tyler Matzik in the eighth before the Astros finally got a hit in that game. I think that was one of the longest um, World Series games without a hit being wild since Don Larson's perfect game. And playoff wise, it would have been the longest since uh, Doc Holliday's perfect game back in the uh, NLDS. And was that eight oh eight, Jason? Uh, it was two thousand ten. Ten, okay. One of those years, the late uh, the late zeros and into the early ones when the uh, Phillies were playing some fantastic. Yeah, I believe it was 2010 because they, they ended up beating the Reds in the NLDS and then lost to the Giants in the NLCS. So that would have been 2010. The Reds haven't been to the NLCS since, what, the 80s? Maybe the 70s? It's been a long time. 
Anyway, moving on from the Reds. <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately, that the injury to Morton really showed up after that because the Braves were only going to have to run one bullpen game before restarting the starters again. But they ended up having to go two bullpen games in a row. They won the first one. Um, Bryce Wilson came on in relief. Instead, I don't know why they didn't just start Bryce Wilson, but whatever, it worked out. Um, Atlanta was able to come and take that one. And then the second the second of the uh, bullpen games, they'd used all the good arms the night before. So that was the game that despite Adam Duvall hitting a first inning grand slam, they ended up losing as the Braves were running the second level bullpen guys. And I, I'm not going to lie. It's the only time the whole series I was really getting kind of ticked off at Snicker. I really thought he should have pushed a little harder there. Um, or at least had Luke Jackson ready to go because he didn't pitch the night before and they had an off day the next day. So I thought, why bring in Drew Smiley and wave the towel? Because let's face it, Drew Smiley came in and the Astros pounded the crap out of him. And, um, you know, I, I, I got to interact with a lot of great Braves fans on Twitter. I pissed a lot of them off that night when I said, I hope to God that I don't ever see Drew Smiley pitch in a Braves uniform ever again. And I stand by that. I still do not ever want to see Drew Smiley pitch in a Braves uniform ever again, unless he's the batting practice pitcher, in which case, who cares? Because that's really, at this point in his career, that's always good for. And then, you know, back, it would have been nice to win it at home because uh, I want to say 2012 or 2013 was the last time the uh, World Series was won at home. It's been all road teams since then. Um, so they went back down to Houston and, um, things got started when Jorge Soler hit a home run reminiscent of Albert Pujols smashing a home run off Brad Lidge back in 2005. They actually exited the ballpark in almost the same location. The only difference is Pujols bounced back because the roof was closed and the windows were down. Whereas, uh, Soler's got blasted and I think uh rumor had it it either took a right and went to the asteroid belt and became a new moon around Jupiter or it came screaming back down to earth and crashed into the Dodgers mound out in Los Angeles I'm not exactly sure where it came down but that was a monster shot and Atlanta's offense was just on fire Max Freed pitched phenomenal the bullpen came through um Atlanta ran more lefties than I think I've ever seen a team run in a World Series before, which considering the Astros are pretty well balanced right versus left, maybe even tilted a little bit versus righties. I was very surprised how, you know, Snicker knew he had Matzik and Matzik was pitching out of his mind. Minter always pitches better in the postseason than he does in the regular season. I mean, and Will Smith. He had a zero ERA for the playoffs. He did not blow a save and his whip was uh 0.33, I believe, you know, for all the crap I gave Will Smith at the end of the year, he showed up in the playoffs and he was everything Atlanta needed him to be. I, I, wow. I, I'm, I'm still, that was a series for the ages. And, you know, we like to talk about the mysterious things in baseball here. Here's my, was Hank Aaron the angel in the outfield the Braves needed? In the year Hank Aaron passed, the Braves won 44 games before the All-Star break, 44 games after the All-Star break, and won the World Series on the 44th week of the year in which the number 44 was painted in center field all season. I love baseball for stuff like that. I really do. And um, 
Billy, uh, Billy Aaron was out to throw the first pitch in game three. There wasn't a dry eye on the house that night. Um, and her speech, uh, her speech after the parade, when they got back to the stadium, beautiful, just beautiful. And for, for me with this world series, um, the key here, you know, the Braves stole two road games to get that win. You know, you, you usually need to see them take at least one, but with them not even having the the majority of the games in Atlanta, taking those two on the road, that's easily what got them to win. They had outstanding pitching and timely hitting throughout the series. The, the Braves lost one home game the entire playoffs, uh, and that was the World Series Game 5. And Smith and Matzik, they – to me, either of them could have even been the World Series MVP. Um, I, I think absolutely Solaire is also deserving. I, I'm I'm fine with him winning it, but you could have easily chosen either of Smith or Matzik. And before we like we did our predictions for the for the playoffs, I, I said, you know, the Braves are gonna go as Will Smith goes. Mm-hmm. If he blow saves if he is not closing those games the Braves are not going to win the World Series or maybe even make the World Series but perfect and save opportunities I believe was what six for six Um, and zero ERA so he was about as perfect as could be and uh, I I think you know having that type of domination from your closer that that's what gets you the world series titles. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I um, tweeted that night during game six, that my pick for MVP was Tyler Matzik. I was not upset to see Solaire. Um, I thought Solaire made a good case. Austin Riley made a good case. Um, Eddie Rosario made a good case yet again. Freddie Freeman made a good case. And like I said, pitching wise, Matzik and Smith both made excellent cases as well. It, I, I was happy with Solaire. I, I would have loved to have seen Matzik get a little more credit though, because he was absolutely locked down, lights out, two series in a row, both in the Dodgers series and in the and in the World Series against the Astros. He came in against the heart of the order with runners on in scoring position and blew down the side and just stopped all offense right there with him. Uh, one of the most truly dominating performances I think I've ever seen, especially out of a left-handed reliever. The last left-handed reliever I can remember throwing fire quite like that, probably Billy Wagner. I mean, Hader was good, but Hader got jacked up by Freeman this year. So, yeah, I can't think of another left-handed fire. But I mean, Randy Johnson, obviously, but for relievers, I can't think of anybody else quite with that level of dominance. Uh, what do you think, Joe? Uh, you try to get Riley an MVP somewhere, aren't you? <laughs> well, honestly, dude, until that last game, and he was still pounding in that last game, he was the he was the guy that started most of their offensive rallies in the previous games. He didn't, I don't think he had a home run in the series, but he had a ton of doubles that he was lacing off the walls. He would get on, and then with Rosario hitting behind him once Soler came back, Rosario was driving him home. I 
I would agree with Riley for like the first couple of games because he had some clutch hits. He got them leads. Um, I probably would have, if not so I would have probably gone with Rosario or Matzik. Um, but yeah, try to get Riley an MVP somewhere, you know. Um, <laughs> I thought he actually had a really good shot at the uh, NLCS MVP until again, Rosario just went off the last few games. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was Riley's until Rosario went off. Rosario's NLCS may be one of the finest single series performances by any player. It, it, looking at looking at postseason history, he just took that series over and there was nothing you could do. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen one guy completely take over a series as well as he did because he was also doing it in the outfield with his glove too. It wasn't just as bad. He was also flashing some good weather out there as well. I believe uh, if, if you want some comparisons to look at as far as good series, uh, mm -hmm. you want to look at, uh, I believe it was Correa in the World Series in uh, 2018. Um, he uh, he tied uh, World Series record with five home runs in, in the series. And mm -hmm. also, the, one of the people that he tied with, aside from Reggie Jackson, Chase Sutley in 2009, obliterated the Yankees in the World Series uh, in a losing effort. He also had five home runs, and he he put on an absolute show in 09. Uh, he just didn't get more support from the rest of the team and pitching aside from Cliff Lee. Yeah, I had forgotten about Utley. You're right about that. He was uh, that he was absolutely on fire. You know, look, look at, uh, back, at backyard baseball. He was swinging the metal bat the entire series. Yeah, but I mean, like again, that doesn't take away from what Rosario did. Rosario absolutely would be up there with that. Uh, just to give you a couple more recent uh, uh, performances to to look at that with, and I, I think Rosario is definitely up there with them. Yeah, that was yeah, it, truly phenomenal performance. Oh man, that was a great World Series. <laughs> to the off season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for winning for the first time since 95 and being there for the first time since 99, yeah, I'm going to be happy to roll with Cloud9 for quite a while, if you guys don't mind. <laughs> I mean, Joe, you had to Yeah, I mean, I had plenty of uh, five-year anniversary videos to, to watch, you know, during the World Series. I didn't watch many much of it, but I, I watched my uh, five-year anniversary recaps for the Cubbies mostly. Yeah, that that was a great World Series. I was pulling hard for the Cubbies back then. I was so glad to see them break the curse. Not 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 gonna lie, Jason. I I I think I jinxed you guys against the Yankees because when you beat the Rays, I was pulling for the Rays because they had never won one. And then, I, as much as I hate the Phillies, I can't root for the Yankees, so I had to root for the Phillies against the Yankees. So I may have jinxed you guys that year. Uh, not really sorry about it, and yeah, maybe slightly because it is the Yankees. Yeah, I, I probably if it was a Braves Yankees series, I probably would have ended up pulling for the Braves in that one too. Um, I mean, I probably have also been pulling for the meteor or a strike like I was in this World <laughs> Series anyway. But um, then, and, and I think uh, 2009, I think the Yankees actually had the best record in baseball, and they were the 
first team with the best record to win the series in quite a few years, I think. So, yeah, mm. it was one of those uh, I at least had the year prior, so I have 2008. I I would I would argue that I bet it wasn't just because the Rays had never won a World Series. You also had Rays versus your division rival. So I, I think you had a lot more to go off of for uh, for 08. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, definitely. It, yeah, it, it helps that it was also against the division rival. But I, I do tend, if I don't have a rooting interest, I do tend to pick the underdog or the team that doesn't, either hasn't won it or hasn't won it in a long time. Like looking at how the NFL is going this year, if it's like Buffalo and the Cowboys, I'm going to pull for Buffalo because they never won a Super Bowl. Nothing to do with the Cowboys, Jason. It's because uh, I really don't care about the Cowboys at all. Um, and also, by the way, I was not surprised to see the Vikings blow that game against the Cowboys, just like they uh, blew it this past week against the Ravens because, uh, God, they suck this year. All right. So, guys, who were your most disappointing players this year? Joe, uh, let's start with you for this one. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to put him as a disappointing player because I was disappointed in him before the season started. Um, <laughs> but but Javi, to me, you know, he, he's just never – yeah, he's just too too flashy and not productive enough. Um, I mean, I was disappointed with him before the season even started. Um I mean, you know, he's he's just too hot and cold for me. Um, I think the disappointment here is Lindor for the Mets, mm-hmm. uh, Alonzo for the Mets, basically anybody on the Mets team. So, 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 can I make a can I make an extrapolation here and say that your uh, most disappointing team is going to be the Mets as well? Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I think I think too what. Um, Disappointing player-wise, you know, I was just really floored by the White Sox at the end of the year. Their their pitching staff as a whole was just, you know, you, you have two of the best closers in the game and you couldn't figure out how to use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, what about you? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to give you some stats here. Uh, for I, I have three that I chose as my disappointing players. Uh, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees. He was fantastic last year, and he had an incredible drop-off this year. Uh, his OPS went from a 1011 to 711, and his average went from 364 down to 268. Um, now, granted, it last year was a 60-game season, but still, to have that type of a drop-off in, in more games, you would expect some sort of a drop-off, especially batting 364. Yeah. But to drop almost a full, like, like down to 268, that's just incredible to me. Um, I did have Lindor on this list as well. Uh, had such a huge contract to not really hit the ball, the thumbs down issue. Uh, he he batted 230, uh, 20 home runs, and 734 OPS. Mm-hmm. Not what you want from your big contract guys. And then the most disappointing player to me was Cody Bellinger. Um, MVP in 2019. 
this year. Negative 1.5 war wins above replacement. Wow. Under the Mendoza line with a 165 batting average, 10 home runs, and a 542 OPS in 95 games. But I, I just, there's nothing more I can really say about that because that's just horrid. Yeah, the, the numbers don't yeah, lie that, there. That that was really disappointing to watch and see. Yeah. Um, so uh, you guys pretty much nailed everybody I had on this list. Um, I had Lindor on this list for the reasons you mentioned. Um, I, his glove was still there, and thank God for that because nothing else was this year. Um, I The thumbs down thing, what really bothered me the most about that was – you were just signed to an incredibly long-term deal. You're going to be dealing with that rabid New York media and fan base for a long time. And that's how you decide to introduce yourself to New York by doing that. Like that's where you needed to go to Javi and say, dude, knock it off. You're an idiot instead of going along with it. I also had DJ LeMahieu because uh, God knows he made my fantasy team look awful at times this year, disappointingly so, especially because I needed his flexibility to cover multiple positions. Um, and then Bellinger also, although I, at least Bellinger did start to redeem himself a little bit in the playoffs. He wasn't a complete and utter disappointment. So, you know, that was something at least. All right, so uh, let's go with uh, surprise players. Uh, Jason, how about you start it off first this time? Sure. Um, for me, uh, I picked three again. Um, I started with uh, Rafi Devers. He batted uh, 279, 38 home runs, 113 RBIs for the Red Sox, and he was very key as far as getting clutch hits throughout the season. So I had him on my list. I also have uh, Trevor Story on here. He didn't have a great batting average this year, but in in a contract year and on a terrible Rockies team, he did end up having 24 home runs and 70 RBI with nobody around him. Uh, more importantly, his his defense was also really great this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he is going to get paid good yeah. money to go somewhere else. Uh, he's definitely not going to be going back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to me, the, the biggest surprise was Trey Turner uh, with nationals. And then he was also, he went over to the Dodgers with uh, his buddy, Max Scherzer. He batted 328, uh, 28 home runs, 77 RBI between uh, Washington and Los Angeles and all of those were career highs for him. So uh, great season for Trey Turner. Um, it's it's a little surprising that he didn't make the NL MVP um, final list, but considering uh, who he was up against, I'm also not surprised at the same time. Okay. Uh, Joe? Yeah, I was impressed with how – uh, Trey Turner performed. Um, I was never big on Solaire for so for him to have the year that he had was was good to see and impressive to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, 
between Kike and, and uh, Hunter Renfro for, for Boston, for them to, to get to that stage, you know, early and have some of that talent really develop quickly um, was impressive. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my biggest surprise, and Jason, you brought this up earlier this year, um, and, and to me it's not a surprise because I thought he had it in him this whole time, Austin Riley. He's playing in his first full major league season, and he put up truly impressive numbers at the hot corner that Atlanta hasn't seen, honestly, since Chipper Jones was their third baseman. They have not had that kind of production at the hot corner. Um, And if Riley continues on this upward trajectory, stop chasing bad sliders way down or way out, he's going to be a perennial MVP candidate. And if he can clean up the glove a little bit and bring the errors down, he's probably going to be a gold glove consideration at some point as well. Um, looking at some other guys, um, I I got to put um, – sorry. I have to put on um, for Baltimore, Trey Mancini. After coming back from cancer, not playing because of COVID, and putting on one of the most impressive showings I've seen by a guy in the home run derby that's not named Pete Alonso over the last five to ten years. I loved Mancini this year. I, I and he's never going to leave Baltimore. And I swear, if the Angelos family ever trades him out of Baltimore, they should be run out of town on splintery rail because he is the face of the Baltimore franchise, and they need to leave him there to be the face of that franchise as they finish rebuilding and hopefully start to become competitive over the next two to three years. Yeah. And one of the most emotional moments for me this year was with the Derby and the all-star game, you know, they advertised the whole stand up for cancer and things like that, where they gave everybody the, the signs that they could write somebody's name down, hold them up. And what really got me choked up was seeing the different players that put Trey Mancini on their paper that they were holding up that that was just right in the feels, man. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a dry eye in the stadium or at home at that point. No, that, that was uh that was beautiful. Truly a phenomenal moment. All right. Uh, Joe, do you want to start off with disappointing teams? <laughs> um the Mets, for every reason we mentioned, I mean, they were they were predicted to win the division. They were predicted to really, you know, give it a good run and didn't. Um, I, I'm disappointed in the Mets as a whole. So, like, we talked about their offense and, and their lack of production, I should say. Um, you know, but the way they mismanaged DeGrom really confuses the heck out of me. Yeah. Like, like you had to know. Like, the day after the deadline, it's like DeGrom's out. And I'm like, did you guys not know that? Like, like how do you not know that you need to get two pitchers? Like, it's not that just you needed one extra pitcher. You needed two. How did you not know that? Because that franchise is managed by a bunch of idiots. That's why. Yeah, I don't think Rojas was ready for a big gig like that. He... I think was announced today. He's going to be a third base coach in the Bronx next year. <laughs> I think. Um, I don't know how much that'll really help Boone. I mean, the only reason that Boone still got a contract there is because he made the playoffs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the other, I mean, the other thing too is La Russa and the White Sox. I mean, how the heck do you mismanage the most talented team you've had in easily since the last time you won the series in 05? Easily. Mm-hmm. The, the most talented team in the entire league, the best pitching staff in the entire league, and you mismanage it. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You know, the, the, the crap we had with um, – was it uh, Mercedes, you know, that whole debacle, you know, oh, like Mercedes Lewis. Yep. Yeah. You, like you cannot mismanage the talent that you had. You only, only La Russa could do that. <laughs> like you, you, you could hit David Ross, that team and David Ross gets to the playoffs and maybe that wins. the series. <laughs> and you know how I feel about David Ross. <laughs> And the fact that catchers suck at managing bullpens. Yes, we do know that. <laughs> Jason, how about you? For for me, I I, I had the Mets down there. Um, all the same reasons we've already talked about. And then for me, the other disappointing team was the San Diego Padres. Um, mm. For a few of the reasons that we've already mentioned. I mean, just they didn't do anything to boost their roster at the deadline. And... They had, like, if not for the Mets collapse, they made the Padres collapse look like nothing. Um, the, the Padres collapse is one of the worst in the history of the game. The, you know, being that far above 500, having that much control over a playoff spot, I mean, they can't help that they played in one of the hardest divisions. Um, we know as far as having those top two teams in the Giants and the Dodgers, but to end that far below 500 uh, and have just an abysmal second half, the the Padres are absolutely uh, probably uh, one of the most disappointing teams for me this year. It was a very top-heavy division. Yeah, the Giants and the Dodgers were world beaters. The Rockies and the Diamondbacks were garbage. Uh, the Diamondbacks lost uh, how many straight – like 20 some games, 27. I, I forget how long the losing streak was, but they basically lost for an entire month. And keep in mind, most of what the Padres played in September was their division because that's how baseball does the schedule now. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it against the Rockies. They couldn't do it against the Diamondbacks to even try and tread water. And, so, and then they ended up also, you know, they had some non-divisional series against the Phillies and the Braves and they lost all of them. Yeah, um, you know the only the only game they won was a game that we finished up from July, so that didn't even count as a September win for them. And right. It also did you know funny things with the stats when Tatis hit that home run, which turned out to be an earlier home run, and you know we basically went into the time into the time warp. Um, for me, I you guys pretty much nailed the disappointing teams. The big the big three were the definitely the Mets. And the Padres. Um, There's one other team I want to toss out there, though. Uh, The Twins. The AL Central is utter garbage. Outside of the White Sox. Utter garbage. And that they fell all the way to last place in one of the worst divisions in baseball. And yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to call it one of the, if not the worst divisions in baseball. And you dropped all the way to fifth. You couldn't even push for second or third and hover around 500 
with the talent you have on that roster and then making basically no moves to the trade deadline. I put the twins down as one of my, one of my disappointing teams. All right. Uh, surprise teams. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So my surprise teams, uh, my three here, uh, the Red Sox, um, not predicted to do much of anything, ended up taking a wild card spot and making it all the way to the LCS. Um, the Mariners, again, you know, they came out of nowhere to fight for a division near the end. I mean, they, they weren't that close, but they ended up fighting for a wild card spot as well. Uh, they ended up getting second in their, in their division uh, behind the Astros and above the Athletics as I look over to my standings wall. Um, and then, um, and the play, their play was just fantastic. So I think, um, Mariners definitely were a surprise team this year, much to, uh, my buddy Dave, uh, would be thrilled about that. And then my, to me, the biggest surprise for me was the giants, Mm uh, for not that, not that we, not that I didn't think that they would do well, but I kept waiting for the drop-off. Uh, I kept waiting for the Dodgers and the Padres to take over uh, that division from the Giants, and Gabe Kapler did not have that collapse until the playoffs. Um, but the roster really showed up. Buster Posey in his final year, uh, what ended up being his final year, really stepped up. Uh, he had uh, a really good end to his career, I think. So uh, my top three there, uh, Red Sox, Mariners, and Giants for surprising teams. What about you, Joe? Yeah, to me, it's it's easily the Red Sox for, for everything Jason mentioned. They they were not expected to do what they did and, and to arrive on the scene early. And, and but for another collapse at Fenway, to, to be in a, in a hunt there in the LCS for, for the American League, um, that was impressive. I do think the Giants, too. I agree with Jason. We kind of thought, I think, again, Capor's going to be Capor at some point. Um, and, and the Dodgers and Padres would run away and chase that to the end, and it ended up being the Giants. I mean, that was a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, add Gabe Kapler to the long list of uh, former Phillies managers who couldn't get it done in Philly and then go somewhere else and – my God, why why didn't we get this in Philly? He's a genius. To to be fair, he's he still I, didn't get it done. <laughs> yeah, I'll say he still hasn't gotten it done. And I think the team kind of won despite him this year. Um <laughs> I, I mean that's what I do think he ends up winning manager of the year for the NL. But but um I I, th- I think that uh you can add to a list of people who of managers that's like, well, why didn't we get that here? And I think that a, a simple answer is the Phillies give them experience. <laughs> you need to look at who the Phillies had uh, as the first, ma- their, as first time managerial jobs, you know, look at Terry Francona. He did, he was terrible with Philadelphia, but he learned from his time there went to Boston, went to, or went to Cleveland, went to Boston. I forget which way he did that. Went to Boston, Cleveland, whatever, but won there. And, you know, look at now you have Kapler and he doing the same thing. Um, So I I think the Phillies have been good to give new managers experience is what I'm looking at it. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, my surprise teams for this year, I agree with the Mariners. Uh, they they came out of nowhere, honestly, and especially once you saw them trade their closer, that they still managed to push as hard as they did for the AL wild card was truly phenomenal. I want to put the Blue Jays on there as well. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to be a star in this league for a long time, and he is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And Jason, I want to put the Phillies on there. Because the Phillies, honest to God, with all the injuries, they had no right even sniffing 500 at the end there, the way uh, things ended. And they managed to hold on to the first 500 record since uh, uh, since they lost the Yankees that year in the World Series. Is that the first one? Um, no. Uh, first one since like 2011, 2012. Okay. Um, so not long after that, though. Yeah, not long after that. I, I think 2011 was their last winning season. Because they, they ended up winning that division and losing to the Cardinals uh, in the in the divisional series, um, so I think it was the following year. I think they were a 500 team, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I I was very pleased with the Philly season, um, and it, it was kind of surprising. I it wasn't as surprising to me because I knew that they had a good team. It was it's one where you know they had some really bad injuries to take. You know, they lost Hoskins. Mm-hmm for the second half of the season, which also takes away from protection from Harper. Mm-hmm. You know, the entire second half of the season, they had a bullpen game every five days. Uh, they lost a couple starters. They had to release people. So, yeah, I mean, considering all that they had to go through, I will gladly take an above 500 record and second in the division. Um, actually pushed – uh, for the division title until the last week of the season. So mm-hmm. I'll absolutely take that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, Joe, you were the one keeping track of all of this. So uh, let's uh, – so who – let's start with the MVP awards. Who were the nominees for the AL and the NL? Uh, AL MVP awards, uh, Vlad Jr., Shohei, and Marcus Simeon from the Blue Jays. So a pair of Blue Jays and Shohei. Does anybody else feel like Simeon's on there just because they had to have three nominees or is it just me? Partly that. I think, um, you know, I think this was his first year at short. So, or second. So, um, you know, to have a gold glove season and and have some of his production Mm -hmm. is probably the other reason, but yeah, to put a third name on this list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly a two horse race here. Yeah, I, I I think it should be Vlad, but I think they're going to give it to Shohei because of the two-way. But I really think overall, based on what the team did and what he did for the team, I think it, personally, I think it should be Vlad Guerrero Jr., but I think they're going to give it to Shohei Otani. Yeah, I'm on the Shohei train. Uh, it took me a while to get there, but I'm on the Shohei train. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a once-in-a-generational talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's not like he's mediocre on – in one of the other, in one of the other spots he plays in, he's good in both. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but, but for the fact that he plays for the angels, yeah, you know, th- he'd be, you know, even better if he was with a team that actually had the talent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can see where you're coming from, Andrew, as far as, you know, Vlad really being a force behind the team, pushing for wild card spots, pushing for division, uh, things like that. Um, 
he won two out of the three major categories, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, two thirds of the triple crown. So two thirds of the triple crown. So I could certainly understand it. That being said, uh, I do think it's going to be Shohei Otani uh, once in a generation type of thing that you're seeing here with, with the two way and, and being successful with both. So I, I yeah, I, I think it's going to be Otani, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit more of a landslide, but I, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Joe, NL MVP. You have uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Bryce Harper. It's not going to be Tatis. Not It's not going to be Tatis. It's, it's a two-horse race between Harper and Soto. Um, I'm going to go with Soto. Sorry, Jason. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. Here, here's the thing, man. Like I said, Harper at the end of the season screwed the pooch and laid in the bed against the Braves and did absolutely nothing for the most important series of the season. And Soto single-handedly made the Nationals win games in the second half of the year after they traded their entire team away. Without Juan Soto, that team wins like four games. Maybe five. They were still fifth in the division. He took a bad team and made them just less bad. Um, he. They would they they might have been crashing towards Orioles level bad if he hadn't been there. He's and that big of a player. You you bring up the Phillies Brave series like that's the deciding factor. That's not going to be the deciding factor. One three game series is not going to determine an MVP race. Otherwise, you need to look at like Juan Soto's you know worst series where he went over whatever. You know each each player is going to have a tough series here and there without Bryce Harper the Phillies are not 500 above 500 the Phillies are not pushing for an NLE's title let alone even a, like a wild card spot or something for the playoffs and I'm looking at his stats here Soto has leads in a couple of the categories but Bryce Harper is very comparable in those also leads uh out of heat between he and uh Soto has the home runs and you also need to look at the doubles and look at the OPS. He led the league in OPS. Um, yes, he did. He, he is. Soto wasn't that far behind him in OPS, though. He really wasn't. He okay, was just, so 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 they're comparable. But that, that so if you look at how they're comparable, that thing you need to look at. You know what you said about Vlad Jr. You used the point of with Vlad Jr. was the reason that the Blue Jays were even in it. Bryce Harper is the reason the Phillies were even in it. So to, to me, the edge goes to Bryce Harper. But J- um, Jason, you can't keep, you can't mix your arguments back and forth. Are you going to go with he? Put you mix your arguments you back gonna, and forth, or are you going to put it up to the numbers? Because that's where that's where it's going to come down to. It is the um, most valuable player to the person's team, and team success does get included in that. And in which case, it shouldn't be Shohei then because the Angels were terrible. Then fine, make it Vlad. I don't care. Either one, I don't care. But I'm just saying, you. I, I feel like that you have this inherent bias against Harper because he's a Philly. 
Um, I ju- now, actually, Harper's really, he's really grown on me, actually, since he's moved to Philadelphia. I don't, I hated him with the Nationals. I don't hate him nearly as much with the Phillies as I did when he was with the Nationals. Well, I'm, I'm telling you right now, like, it, it should be Harper based on the complete package from stats to uh, team success to most viable player for their team. Yes, Soto was the most valuable player for the Nationals, but the Nationals were just flat out terrible all around. Um, you take you take Soto off the team, they're still a fifth place team. You take Harper off of the Phillies, they're not a 500 team. They're not pushing for the playoffs, and they're not even going to be second in the division. They'll be fourth or fifth behind the Mets or the Marlins. They wouldn't have dropped that far. They would have probably been behind the Mets at least. I'll give you the Mets. They wouldn't have fallen behind the Marlins. So, so I, I'm I'm just saying here. You need to look at the overall thing here, and and it's go. I, it it truly should be Harper. Do, do you know the uh, war comparison between the two? Because I haven't pulled up. If you don't, um, I think it was pretty similar. But I'll let you go ahead and read that off. It was Soto seven, Harper five point nine. So that was bigger than I expected. I thought Harper's war would have been over six. I was a little surprised to see he was under there. Um, all the, the other thing about Soto, 145 walks and under 100 strikeouts. Jesus, that's insane. Plus 23 intentional walks versus 14. And, you know, you like to point out that Harper was gone for so long from injury. Soto only played 10 more games than Harper did. It was 151 to 141. So I think you have a pretty fair basis of comparison. I don't think you have I, – I, I know one thing you were really looking at with a lot of the other players is um, with the time Harper missed, um, I, I, I don't think that really is a factor here comparing him to Soto. Um, also, one other thing I want to point out, Tatis should not be the third one on this list. It should be Justin Turner. Justin Turner or Trey Turner? Or Trey Turner. Yeah, not Justin. I'm sorry. Trey Turner. Yeah, not Justin. Harvey, I was really waiting for you to put Austin Rye on that list. I was going to smack you through the computer. <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't say top three. I, I came back off that once I, once I saw the end of the year numbers. He didn't have numbers for top three. He's top five, but he's not top three. Yeah, Not even top five. Yeah, you're wrong, but it's okay. All right, Joe, let's move on. Um, A.L. Cy Young. I don't think we got Joe's picks for uh, for NL MVP there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess we were arguing the whole time. Sorry, you really, you really like, I'm like, okay, I'll just let you guys do it. Um, <laughs> Bryce Harper. All right. I, I don't know how much more I have to say to it. I, I, Jason covered a lot of it, um, but yeah, to me, it comes down to as Jason said, if if not for Bryce Harper. The Phillies are in third, maybe fourth. The yeah, Nationals I'm, live in I'm fifth sorry, place. they're not dropping four, dude. <laughs> as many games as they lost to the Fish this year, they could have. Um, yeah, to me, that's that's the difference maker. The, the, the Nationals were a, um, you know, they were a fifth place team regardless. The Phillies were 82 and 80. The Marlins were 67 and 95. They weren't going to fall down below the Marlins. Sorry, not buying that for a second. 
All right, AL MVP. Who are the candidates? AL Cy Young. Or yeah, Cy Young. Sorry. Uh, Garrett Cole from the Yankees, Lance Lynn for the White Sox, and Robbie Ray for the Blue Jays. Three excellent choices. Um, I hopped on the Robbie Ray train towards the when we uh, looked at our picks back in what July August. I'm going to stay in the Robbie Ray train. Let me pull some stats up here because God knows yeah, the show. While you do that, I'll, I'll go with my pick here. I, I'm taking yeah. Garrett Cole. Um, I predicted him at the start of the season and even the midway point, so I've got to stick with my pick here. Um, he, di- I believe he had a better record and uh, overall war. And I... This is one for me where you can't really go wrong with any of the three, yeah. but uh, I'm I'm going to take uh, I'm going to be on the coal train. All right, so Garrett Cole did win the win edge. It was sixteen to thirteen. The AL didn't have a lot of high winning pitchers this year. It was uh, the AL was far more of a slugfest. Here's the big advantage for me. Robbie Ray was the only AL starting pitcher to have an ERA under three. He was at 284. Garrett Cole was at 323. Robbie Ray led the American League in strikeouts. He edged Garrett Cole 248 to 243. Robbie Ray edged Cole and Whip 1.04 to 1.06. So, yes, Jason, you make an excellent point with the um, wins but wins aren't everything or Jacob deGrom would win it every year, regardless. Actually forget that argument. I just completely twisted that around. Cause I was you, thinking you, you, you messed that one up. Yeah. Anyway, but you know what I mean? I, I think Robbie Ray takes it. Joe, what about you? This is a tough one. I, I think um, it's hard for me to be a Cole fan, but I do think um you know, his experience is, is certainly those one or two wins more than Robbie Ray or the difference between sitting at home and making the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Garrett Cole. Okay. Although I, I should note just for the record, Joe, just putting it out there, the Cy Young is less determined on how your team does and more on individual performance than any of the other awards put together. So that's actually – I. I really don't even look at that at all, to be completely honest with you, when I was making my pick. But let's be realistic, guys. Any of these three guys are are an excellent choice for the award. All right, Joe, the candidates for the NL Cy Young. The NL Cy Young. Um, We have Corbin Burns from the Brewers, Max Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler. That's tough. Joe, do you want to go first this time since we've been uh, kind of pushing you off to the side? <laughs> uh, Zach Wheeler. I don't have to say much. I think Jason's got the numbers for me. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. Actually, I'm not taking Zach Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, I appreciate the support. Um I, I believe Zach Wheeler did lead or tied for the uh, lead in strikeouts. Um, he definitely led in innings pitched, I believe. Um, 
to me, I, I'm since they allowed the combined teams to count it, I'm taking Max Scherzer. Um, the the uh, wins are there. The ERA is there. Um, I would love for it to be Zach Wheeler, uh, but if I'm looking at everything objectively, I I think Scherzer is kind of the the one to take here. I'm actually going to go with Corbin Burns. Um, I, I went back and forth with Scherzer and Burns. Jason, I, I agree with you. Wheeler, just, he just didn't get enough done because the Phillies didn't give him offense. Same thing with Charlie Morton when the bullpen was blowing wins for him earlier this year too because uh, both Morton and Wheeler ended up with 14 wins apiece. I'm going to go with Corbin Burns because Corbin Burns led the National League with a 243 RA. Now Scherzer was right behind him at 246. Um, can I, can I just take a sidebar for a second? We're not putting the 20 game winner up as one of the top three for Cy Young, which is insane. Anyway, um, I, Corbin Burns made the Brewers rotation click all year and he was just behind Scherzer and strikeouts at 234 versus 236. Yes, Jason, um, Wheeler was second in the majors at 247 first in the NL. Um, Because remember, Girardi finally did something smart and didn't let him pitch that last game because it didn't mean anything. And he had already logged a ridiculous number of innings and said, take a break. You've done your work. Um, It's going to be between Burns and Scherzer. You're not going to go wrong either way. I think I think Burns, but I'm not going to be surprised when they call Scherzer for that one. This is another one where the top two guys, it's not a bad choice either way. All right, I will. Um, I will oh, uh, retract my pick and go with Scherzer. Then, not knowing <laughs> some of the other details. Um, again, I, I kind of, you know, the last couple of months of the season was kind of like, okay, you know, other than Frank Swindell, I didn't have much going on. So, <laughs> um, Schwindy City, baby, Schwindy yeah. City. I, I, you know, thinking thinking more about it, Scherzer, like like Jason said. I mean, I didn't realize just how much they were combining everything with with both teams and all of the the numbers. So that makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scherzer was ridiculous this year too. I, like I said, Scherzer and Burns are far and away better than everybody else in the NL this year. I, I, I don't think it's even close. All right, uh, AL Manager of the Year, Joe. Did they put those nominees up? They did. Um, Scott Service from the Mariners, Kevin Cash of the Rays, and Dusty of the Astros. Oh, man. Oh, that's tough. It's hard for me to not take Service uh, from the Mariners with just how surprising they were this year. The Rays were going to be a good team, and you know that because of who they of their lineup and their pitching staff. You know, Wander Franco, Rosarena in there. And the Astros were the Astros. So um, while those managers did a great job, I think the one that stands out the most as far as overall performance for me is the Mariners. And, and that's to me, that's their base. Yeah. And especially because the AL didn't win the world series this year, I think you have to give it to Cervais as well. Although that said, Dusty took a team that was going to be under fire all season 
by every opposing fan base they went into. And he got that team pumped up and ready to go. I've always loved Dusty Baker. Hell of a manager, hell of a player. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's surveys. Joe? I'll agree with you. Um, one of the few times in the last few weeks I've agreed with Andrew. So um, That World Series pick. Well, I did that because I thought it would it would hurt the Braves because I picked against them in the other two series. <laughs> <as it was. laughs> so I, I picked the Braves in six. I happened to be right, but I didn't want to be right. <laughs> He's not happy about it, but he's right. No, no. <laughs> so, so does that make Joe our playoff pick'em champion, or does that make me the playoff pick'em champion? Yes. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so everybody wins the pick'em this year. Put us all on the hot list. All right, uh, Joe, who's the uh, NL Manager of the Year nominees? Uh, Craig Council of the Brewers, Gabe Kapler of the Giants, and – Mike Schilt of the Cardinals, even though he was already fired. <laughs> How amazing would that wow. be to be manager of the year and get f- after you were already fired? Like, I don't, I, I, we need to see if we can find out if that's even ever happened where the manager of the year was already fired by the time the award was announced and like chosen. So um, that that's insane. Uh, but for me, for me, I don't think it's going to come down to that because it's Gabe Kapler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no I question. The agree. amount of stuff that he did with the with the team he had, the, the resurgence of Buster Posey. Yeah, it, without a doubt, it's it's Kapler for me. Now, I I will say this: the the only caveat for me would have been if Snit were on here because to do what Snit was able to accomplish, as much as I don't like it. Um, you know, and maybe that's more of a front office accomplishment, but, um, I mean, for, for them to be able to, you know, put the pieces in place to pull that off. The trouble for both, for both of those awards is they're done before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if, if the playoffs are included, that's a no brainer for, for SNIT and, uh, AA there. Um, but I, I, th- I think the reason they're not in there is, um, or at least it's not in there is because of it being a regular season award. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I, from what I can see, the only one to get fired after winning, it was Joe Girardi in 2006 when he won with the Mariners before he jumped to the Yankees. I think that's the only time it's happened. Or the, because, the, because yeah. of course it's Girardi. Yeah. It, it would have to be. Yeah, I'd be fine works. if you want another one within the next year or so. <laughs> now, now the only and I think the other thing too with this man, the NL manager is how in the world because we've talked about this last night. How do you have five Gold Glove winners and get bounced in the first round? Because Golden Gloves can't stop home runs, right? But I mean, just <laughs> the paradox of that to have them be the team with the most Gold Gloves ever. Yeah, that that was insane. Um, I yeah, I, my pick's Kapler. There there is no other pick here. It's Kapler. All right, uh, Joe, do you have the nominees for the AL Rookie of the Year? Yeah, we have um, Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco, and Luis Garcia. 
Garcia being from the Astros, the other two from the Rays. Uh, Wander. I, did Wander even did Wander streak break of getting on base, or is that still going? I can't I can't remember. Um, but I I know he was sure. on. He he was on at one point a thirty plus game consecutive getting on base streak, which is for any player ridiculous, but to do it as a rookie even more insane. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Wander Franco. For me, it's it's not even like these three were great. How in the world is Ryan Mountcastle not in this list? Um, 30 and 30, uh, 30 and 30, uh, for, uh, home runs and, uh, doubles and like he started slow this year, but he was insane the set for most of the season. And the, I I don't know if maybe if some of it was, he had a few fair amount of at bats last year. He was, I believe four at bats shy of qualifying for rookie last year and maxing out rookie. So because he didn't hit that, uh, he was able to follow through it as a rookie this year. Um, so I'm incredibly disappointed that Ryan Malcastle is not on this list. But um, for me, out of these three, I was I started out thinking Wonder Franco, Andrew, because of that streak. I'm actually going to go with Randy Rosarena. Uh, Wander didn't come up until June. And he did great the entire time, but a Rosarena also had the defense to go with it. Um, and he was pretty dominant as far as hitting goes. So I, I think they're both similar and I think they're both, go- it's going to be a very close vote. Um, but for it being a full season, I, I think I'm going to give the edge to Randy Rosarena in that. Fair. It's a fair point. Um, Joe, who's your pick? I'm going to go with the Rosarena too. I, I didn't really think about the fact that uh, Franco didn't play the whole year up. So, Okay. Yeah, but Jason, I 100% agree with you on Ryan Mountcastle. Absolutely ridiculous. And anybody who wants to bitch and moan about the fact that he came so close to not being a rookie this year because of ABs last year, I'd like to point out that Ichiro Suzuki won Rookie of the Year, even though he was a well-established major league player in Japan before he even made it to the United States, played major league baseball and uh, tore up record books. So I don't, I don't even want to hear that excuse. Uh, Ichiro's already put that to bed. All right. Uh, who are our nominees for NL rookie of the year? Uh, Dylan Carlson from the Cardinals, uh, Jonathan India of the Reds that Jason alluded to earlier and Trevor Rogers of the Marlins. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to go India. I think I'm going to go India. That's another really good race there. Uh, What about you, Joe? Yeah, I I think India was a a part of this potential new big red machine that that they could have developing there. So um, other than Cassianos, who who turned down the QO today. And I'm also going to be taking uh, Jonathan India in this one. I... I just think overall he was a more well-rounded player, um, bigger impact. Uh, stats are really good. So, um, yeah, uh, to me this one was uh, going to be India. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a pretty easy one. 
Um, Joe, do you have the nominees for the uh, exec GM of the year? Or did they not release those yet? They didn't release that yet. Okay. Uh, quickly, I like I said, NL, I, I think it's down between um, Alex Andopoulos of the Braves, and I, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know the names of executives for the other teams. So I, I think the only other ones that you could consider in the NL are the GMs of the Giants and the Dodgers. Although that said, Joe, I, they don't do it for losing teams, but Jed really should get some consideration for the amount of talent he was able to bring back in that sell-off at the deadline. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, always a good, a big Jed Hoyer fan, but I, I like the way that he approached the deadline, the, the, the stuff that he got rid of um, and, and the pieces he got back. I, I really appreciate what he did, but we've been talking about it all night. You know, your guy went five for five in trades. Yeah. Never happens. Yeah, never. Um, Jason, you have any other thoughts for NL? Um, I'm going to be taking the Giants GM uh, just for bringing in Kapler. Uh, Kapler having that type of a season with the team, uh, resurgence of Posey. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if AA gets it, but I, I think the trouble with that is the fact that it's a regular season award and not a playoff award. Um, so you can't really say that they went five for five with the trades in, in the regular season. Um, because the five for five dominated in the playoffs. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets it, um, but focusing more on the regular season stats and the fact that the giants had to unseat the Dodgers for the division title, mm -hmm. uh, repeat, uh, the defending world champs, defending division champs for the last, I don't know how many years it's been a few, um, the fact that they got that division title, I think that's going to be um, what gets that job done there for the uh, Giants. Yeah, two, I, two, two excellent choices there. And again, like I said, with the Dodgers being able to literally steal Scherzer and Turner at the deadline, that puts them up there as well. Um, uh, how about for the AL? My guess is probably... And this is where I'm going to run into trouble because, again, we don't follow the AL close enough because all three of our teams are in the NL. Um, I'm going to probably go with the White Sox GM. You know, bringing I, I know the Kimbrel deal didn't really work out, but they brought in a lot of guys and had Larusa not basically shut that team down for two and a half months because they played no competition. They made the right moves, even if they didn't work out. Do you guys have any other thoughts on ALGM? I think I might take. I, I believe is it Heim Bloom who's with the Red Sox? Maybe. Um, <laughs> like I said, I don't. I don't know executive names for crap. Um, I, I I'm looking at the Red Sox to to be in the division lead for that long, uh, to be that surprising of a team, and end up with the wild card. And and uh, well, I'll stop at the wild card because again, it's a reg, it's a regular season uh, award. Um. But um, a team that's in a division that had that saw the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays really strong teams, I, I kind of would give the edge to the Red Sox there. All right, fair enough. Uh, Joe, did you have any other thoughts for ALGM? No, it, no it's it's the Red Sox with, without a doubt, and 
Ryan O'Halloran is the guy now. It was Chief Bloom before, but yeah. all right, fair enough. All right, um, guys, let's we'll uh, skip. The, we're gonna skip the um, Hall of Fame nominees at this point. Uh, yep. I want to see that list when it gets pared down a little more. I can't pick ten out of thirty-three players. That's uh, yeah, that, that's a huge ballot. Let's let, let's let them get the uh, smaller ballot. So, I mean, guys, this was an amazing season. You see a team that hasn't been to the World Series in a long freaking time come back and win. You saw MLB put on some phenomenal one-off shows with the Field of Dreams game, with the annual Little League game near Williamsport. Um, the Home Run Derby was phenomenal. Um, the All-Star game, it, it was still nice. I hated the uniforms. I, I hope to God they go back to letting the teams wear their own uniforms because that was hideous. Um, and I, I'm not going to get into the politics behind moving the moving the world the uh, All-Star game out to Colorado from Atlanta. I'm not going to get into that. It's too late. But, it, you know, we saw records get shattered, like I said earlier. Uh, wow, 2021 was just a phenomenal season. Uh it, you guys have any other thoughts for the season? No, you've hit them on the head. It was it was quite the year. The it was fun to follow it a little more closely than I may have had may have done in the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, it, it, can't ask for more. No. Yeah, it was a really f- fun year to watch. Um, just so many different things happening throughout the year. Um, Andrew, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up my laptop here. I'm going to kind of walk cause I'm going to show you this. Cause you know that I have my uh, man cave down here. I have a standings wall where I do have a place of honor for the <laughs> world champions. So I'm going to turn this around here right up top there. Woo! We have the Braves pennant in the uh, spot of honor and it will remain there until uh, opening day of 2022 when they go back down into the divisional uh, standings. So as, as much as it pained me to do that, uh, I had to show you that before we uh, closed out our season here. Yeah, I appreciate it. That that was a great season, and honestly, even even though the NL East wasn't the blood wasn't the world beating bloodbath we thought it would be, it was still the bloodbath, and it you know it fought all the way down to the last week, and you can't ask for any more than that out of a out of a playoff race. I love seeing it push to the end, even if my blood pressure and heart rate would have wished otherwise. All right, guys. So we're we'll be back on at some point in the uh, future after they release the awards. We'll go over the award winners quickly. Um, we didn't touch on the Gold Gloves at all tonight, even though they've been released. And we're also going to look at the free agent class coming up, and we're going to talk about the CBA as well. So probably uh, maybe next week or sometime within the next two weeks, we'll get together and figure out a time to get back on for that. Um, Big and- Jim, we're sorry you couldn't be with us tonight. Um, we'll- we can't wait to have you on though sometime in the future. Uh, go ahead, Jason. And uh, Andrew, just for our listeners here, uh, something we're going to be doing over the course of the off season is we're, we're going to be trying to find somebody who's a fan uh, of all the different ma- 30 major league teams here. You know, not just me, Joe and, and Andrew here as far, <coughs> excuse me, as far as Phillies, Cubs and Braves go, but 
We want to get somebody from each team on here, find out what is your team's biggest need in the offseason. So let us know if you're if you're watching this or listening in. Let us know what uh, who your team is, and and we would love to have you on to talk about your team in the offseason uh, so we could kind of go over each of the 30 teams before uh, 2022 kicks into gear. Yeah, and spring training will be back on February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. It's uh, way too far away to even think about right now. But, you know, we'd like to get this done over the offseason. But we also, you know, if you're scheduled us in a while, we absolutely do not mind kicking this into spring training as well. So, uh, you know, guys, just let us know. Either send us a message through Facebook on Messenger. I ha- I check that every day. You can send us uh, an email. It's uh, dollardogsandbeer at gmail.com. You can also send us a message through Twitter. Our Twitter is um, at DDAB underscore podcast. So, guys, where you can find us, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, um, Amazon Music, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spreaker. There's probably a couple more that have been added on since then that I've forgotten. So you can find us there, too. Um, like I said, our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Dollar Dogs and Beer. Um, on our Twitter page at DDAB underscore podcast. On Twitter, I am at PyroLord314. Jason, for hopefully the last time I have to say this before he makes a podcast-specific Twitter handle, is at J-R-I-E-K-E-R-300, and Joe is at JoltonJoe35. Guys, we are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast, LLC. May your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everybody.